You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Year of the GPS, Part 2. Enjoy. So this is the second Sunday of 2015, and we started um, a series last Sunday called Year of the GPS. As we're focusing at Highway Church this year on being led by God's Holy Spirit in our life decisions. We can make life decisions based on all kinds of reasons, on the political climate, the economic environment, the weather, what man says, religion. Or we can make decisions based on the voice of God, the leading of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's where the abundant life is. Regardless of what's going on around us, we let the Holy Spirit bear witness inside and lead us forward in life. And I've seen in my life there are times God was leading me and it looked like where he was leading me wasn't going to work out because I didn't see any external signs that there was success there. But I knew the witness of the Holy Spirit that it was a green light. I needed to go forward in this. And boy, he always, it's amazing how God will change the, the circumstances around you to line up with his word as you step out on that word. Isn't that awesome? So we said that God has gone ahead of us into 2015, which is wonderful, and that he's prepared a place for you. Isn't that great? He's gone ahead of you and he's prepared a place for you. And 2015, I believe, is a year that the Lord is positioning and establishing us for the fulfillment of his destiny for our lives. So we're calling it the year of the GPS. But our GPS, we're not talking about the technology on our phone or in our cars. We're talking about God's positioning system. And if you've ever used a GPS before, you have a destination, right? A place that you really want to go or that you need to go. And you punch in the address and you hit go, right? And it shows you paths of how to get there. Hopefully they're right. Um, but God has a destination for you. And in Psalm 16, it says, Thou will make known to me the path of life. And that's God's desire is to be your shepherd and to lead you in your life decisions into the destiny that he has for you. And boy, in 2015, we are, we are on it. We're growing in that reality, okay? Hallelujah. Now, I like that word destination, destiny, destin. All comes from, from the, the original Latin Greek word, which means to cause to stand to make firm, and to establish. Whoa. Amen. God wants to cause you to stand, to be firmly established in the abundant life his son came to give you. And if you'll take him at his word, you will find yourself standing in the salvation that he's provided. In Christ. A great example of that is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And God's people are confronted with an enemy and they don't know what to do. And God speaks to them in verse 15. He says, Be not afraid. You can put yourself in this situation. I don't know what you're facing right now, what decisions you have to make. But you'll find God speaks the same. He never changes. This is usually the first thing out of his mouth. Be not afraid, 
nor be dismayed by reason of this great multitude, by the issues that you're facing or the challenges that you see going on in the world around you, nor dismayed, um, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You are never meant to live this life outside of relationship with Him. You are never meant to do this thing in your own strength. You were designed to be a conduit, a vessel for God's strength. And what the enemy wants to try and, try and do is to get you to do this thing in your own strength. To try harder, more hours, work harder, try harder, pray more, fast, do all these different things. Instead of just believing and letting God be the strength of your life. In that same chapter, verse 17, God is speaking and he says, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set or position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that's far, far, far away from you. That's with you. Right? It's not, it's not way up in heaven. It's not down in hell. It's in your mouth and in your heart. We speak the word with our mouths and believe it with our heart. Ver, verse 20, the same verse. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Wow. So what do we need to do to fulfill our destiny? Verse 20. Believe. See, here's, here's the, the kicker. You fulfilling your destiny is not contingent upon you making no mistakes. Right. That's how religion gets you in that mindset. Well, if I'm going to fulfill God's will for my life, I've got to do this right. I've got to do that right. I've got to do this. I've got to do that and that and that and that. And if I mess up, I kind of blow the whole thing. So the destiny, the fulfillment of our destiny, it's not contingent upon that. It's contingent upon us believing in the Lord, putting our faith in the promises of God, in the finished work of Christ. And this is where religion kind of gets us off track. They, 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 they really put the pressure on you to get the job done instead of realizing Jesus has gotten the job done. So God has already decreed before you were born who you are. Like Jennifer said, we don't just go through like, I wonder what's going to happen in 2015. We decree God's will over, over January and February. We say God's will is done in our lives just as it is in heaven. We decree it. And that's what destined means. Destined means to decree beforehand, to predetermine. We determined before 2015 ever came what our 2015 is going to be like because of God's promises. To designate, to assign, to dedicate in advance. That's what destined means. To direct, to devise, or set apart for a specific purpose ahead of time. It's one of my favorite things about God is He knows the end from the beginning. Right. See, when we talk about destiny, 
and we look at the scriptures, we find that we were made to walk with God. We were made to be his children, to reflect his very glory. Isn't that awesome? In fact, in Luke chapter 10, when the disciples were so excited that the devils were subject to them in Jesus' name, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, I'm the only one that is going to ever do these things because I'm special. I'm this unique son of God that no one will ever do what I do. No. Behold, I give unto you power to do what? To tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy includes depression, poverty, sickness, disease, right? And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And man's religion has a hard time with these statements of Jesus. So the best they can do is they say, well, that was just for those disciples he was speaking to at that time. But we read the words of Jesus, we find out that's not the case. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Believe Believe in the Lord and you shall be established, right? So these signs will follow them that believe. What will they do? In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So according to Jesus, this was not some unique period of time. This was not something uniquely given to him. It's available to anyone who believes. In verse 12 of John 14, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go unto my Father. We were made to shine and walk, uh, walk in, live in the very glory and life of God. We were made to reign on earth as God's ambassadors. Romans uh, 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5, teach us about that. We've received the abundance, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign as kings in life through the one Jesus Christ. Well, what do we reign over, people? No, no. The enemy and his works, right? Poverty, lack, confusion, depression, sickness, disease. We reign over those things. We're not subject to them. We take authority over them. Now, let's get back to uh, one of the scriptures we read last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to eat this scripture. You know what I mean by eat? What do I mean by eat? You have to eat the promises of God. Now, what in the world am I talking about when I say eat it? We're going to read a promise from God. It's the promises of God that, that, that through the promises of God, we experience the life of God. When I say eat it, I mean this. You're going to believe that it's true 
for you now. Okay? Yes. Believing that something's true for someone else is not going to help you. If you've ever flown on a plane, they give you a little pre-flight briefing. They tell you to put the oxygen on yourself first before your child, right? Because you've got to be breathing to save your child. God wants you to receive his salvation so that you can help others, okay? So believing it's true for you, not when you get to heaven, today, Amen. right now, okay? That's what I mean by eat it. And when you come across the promise of God and you do that, you grab a hold of it and say, this is mine now. Then you begin to digest the rich life that's in that promise. All right? For we are, this is Ephesians 2.10, reading out the Amplified Translation. For we are God's own handiwork. Who's he talking about? Me. You, Vicky, right? Right, Lucille? He's talking about you, right? Gail, right? We are God's own handiwork. I'm believing that's true. I'm believing God made me. Right now, I'm his handiwork. I'm his workmanship. His label is on me. His brand. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Just like the football players wear the Nike swoosh, right? We see God's brand on us. What is that? Love, joy, peace. His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Born anew. Why? That we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. Why did he do all of this? That we should walk in them, right? Living the what kind of life? Good. What kind of works did he prepare? Good. So he prepared good works for us, and a good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I believe that that's true of you and me right now. Amen. You believe that? We're not waiting for it to happen. It's here. Yes, yes. Today is the day. We do the good works of God. We're living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. We don't wait for the circumstances to change. We don't wait for it to look like the good life. We receive it. Yes. Right? We don't base what we believe on external things. We change the external things by what we believe, right? We believe the word of God and we see the world around us change. It's a different way of living. It sounds like John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. So we see emphatically throughout the Bible, it declares that God is good, that he has good things for us, that he's made a good life for us to live. So God is good and the plan that he has for your life is good. And I want to camp here for a little while because meditating on the goodness of God changes everything. Mm -hmm. It's the goodness of God that changes the way we think, that motivates us to put our faith in him. In fact, it says, uh, Paul said that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, which means to think differently. Mm -hmm. So let's spend some time on the goodness of God because we want to enjoy his good plan in 2015. So I'm, I'm one of those guys, I, I, years ago, I, I like to look up the history of words 
and etymologies. Where did the word come from? And I like to study words and research them. And I want to give you some of the definitions of the word good. It's, it's a very powerful word because God is good and his plan for your life is good. And you are the one who's doing the good works and living the good life that he's prepared for you. Good. It means to be desired and approved of, pleasing and welcome. When you begin to realize how good God is and his good plan for your life, you will desire him and his plan for your life more than anything else in this world because he's good. Good means appropriate to a particular purpose, smart and suitable. I like that. Yeah, you're, you're his workmanship, right? He made you smart and suitable to his purpose for your life. The gifts he gave you are appropriate for what he's called you to do. Yes, appropriate to a particular purpose. God made you smart and suitable, and his plan for your life is smart and suitable. I remember growing up and just seeing the adults who were in my life so frustrated and, and it, with work. And I mean, working, I mean, my dad, boy, he worked probably like 90 hours a week, you know. He would be gone usually before I got up and wouldn't come back till after I went to bed and, and seven days a week, you know. It wasn't until I think I was in high school where he took a day off. And even then sometimes he'd go in. And I saw people just not happy. And I didn't know Jesus. We didn't know the Bible at the time. I thought, boy, I don't want to live like that. I don't, I, there's got to be more to life than that. And there is. There's a purpose. And when you tap into God's purpose, what you're smart and suitable for, what you're made for, you won't live like the world. You won't be out there pounding the pavement, trying to make ends meet, but you'll, be, you'll put the suit on that God made for you. You'll step into your purpose and let Him lead you as to where you should work, how you should work how you should employ your time and your resources. And that's where the life is. God is good. It means to be valid, to be good. God's plan for your life is valid. And I've experienced this, maybe you have too, but when you realize God's plan for your life, there will be others who will laugh and tell you you can't do that. You want to do what? Right? But God's plan for your life is valid. It's more valid than a doctorate from Harvard. It's more valid than the Nobel Peace Prize. When God has called you to do something, it's valid. It's sufficiently great. <laughs> I like that definition. God is sufficiently great. And his plan for your life is sufficiently great. It's giving pleasure. It's enjoyable and satisfying. Uh-oh. I grew up in a church where that wasn't allowed to have pleasure and to enjoy things. But in God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. See? God wants you to enjoy life. I didn't know if you are if I was going to get a bolt of lightning for that one or not. Nope. Not a chance. Because nope. that's not his nature. He, he came that we would have and enjoy life, the Amplified says in John 10.10. 10. 
He wants to give you pleasure. He wants to satisfy you. Isn't that great? That's the God we serve. Yeah. To be good is to be beneficial. God is beneficial. And following his plan for your life is way beneficial. In fact, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, says, praise the Lord and forget not how beneficial he is. Right? How beneficial is he? Verse 3. He forgives all your sins. Heals all your diseases. What else? He redeems your life from the pit. That means destruction. And he crowns you with love and compassion. Eat that one right there. Huh? Oh, we're not done eating yet. Go back here. He redeems your life from destruction. So you may have friends that went down the wrong path. You may have been down the wrong path yourself, but it's a new day. You're redeemed from destruction. And you're crowned with his love and his compassion. Keep going. He satisfies your desires with good things, beneficial things, valid things, suitable things, smart things, pleasurable, enjoyable, satisfying things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Wow. I was reading about, uh, I think it was George Mueller, who was lived in the 1800s, tremendous uh, man of God. And at age 93, actually it was age 78, I think he began missionary journeys. I mean, prior to that, he had missionaries for about 2,000 orphans he, that he started and did it all by faith. And then in his late 70s, he, he, God had called him to start missionary journeys. And this is back when traveling was not easy. This is in the 1800s. And he traveled, what was it, like 200,000 miles or something on these mission journeys in the late 70s and 80s. At the age of 93, there were some uh, friends that were visiting him who were much younger than him. And he made the remark that how much more energy he had than them, than they did. And he had no aches and pains at 93. Caleb said at 85, he said, I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago, right? Health and life and strength, the benefits of trusting him, the benefits of believing him. To be good is to be advantageous. Philippians chapter 3. So God is advantageous, and his plan for you is advantageous. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and supreme of what? So knowing Christ, not about Christ, knowing Him being in relationship with him, being led by his spirit causes us to have a supreme advantage in every area of our lives. If you were going into a competition with a supreme advantage, you would be confident, wouldn't you? 
Well, you go into each day of your life with a supreme advantage. Jesus is leading you. God has gone before you and made the crooked places straight. Now, a lot of these verses, like Psalm 103, I memorized the whole song. I memorized a number of different passages. Psalm 103, Psalm 91, Psalm 121, Psalm 34. Uh, probably at least hundreds of promises that I've ended up memorizing over the years. Maybe thousands. But we're reading promises. We major in the promises of God because it's through those we experience Him. But there's a reason that I spend time meditating on them. And I want to encourage you to do that in 2015. We're talking about being led by the Spirit. God's promises are the coordinates that lead us on His path for our lives. Just like latitude and longitude, God's promises are the coordinates that move us forward on His path for our lives. Every time you believe a promise of God, you go forward on that path. So I scour the Word for His promises. I'm like a promise hound when I'm reading the Bible. Oh, promise. (laughs) And I eat it, you know, and I look for the next one. That's how I read it. Promise. Oh, got it. Yep. Yeah. See, his promises are the coordinates we need to be led on the path that he has for us for our lives. All right? Good is related to the word well, which means healthy. God is healthy, and his plan for your life is healthy. When we talk about merchandise and possessions, what do we call them? Goods, right? Goods. Uh Uh-oh. Man's religion says we shouldn't have merchandise and possessions. But we call them goods. Because they are good. There's nothing wrong with them. Selfishness is bad, right? Selfishness is bad. Greed is bad. Goods are not bad. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6.32, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. (laughs) Seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness, which which is a gift, and all these things shall be given unto you. Mark chapter 10, I think it was Peter, when he said, well, what are we be given? We've left everything and followed you. And he said, anyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, or mothers, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much houses, lands, family, in this life now and in the one to come. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord brings So according to the Bible, wealth and God go together. (laughs) How religion has twisted that, haven't they? They, They've fooled people into thinking that, that lacking and poverty is godly. To give to 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 make a vow to that. The scriptures don't teach that. Say, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no sorrow to it. You ready for this one? Proverbs 22, 4. 
the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. Now, if we let man fill that in, it wouldn't say this, but we're reading the word here. The reward of, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor in life. So God associates riches with humility. I grew up in a church that encouraged taking vows of poverty, which is taking a vow opposite to who God is. Ah, not good, right? Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. Let's read this. We're just reading the Bible. Isn't that good? Taste and see, eat it, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed means happy, prosperous, and successful. Go ahead. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him. What's the next verse say? Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. If you'll, if you'll discover the heart of God in his word, if you'll read his promises, you'll find he's waged a war on lack. That because he's your shepherd, we lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I'm certainly not going to take a vow to lack because he's my shepherd. Why would I vow to to commit to something he came to to destroy and remove from my life? Because I don't know his heart. That's why I would make that vow, right? I don't realize what he came to give us. Well, okay, let me stop here. You may as well know something about me. If you haven't figured it out already... I, I, in my, the way I can kind of be sometimes, I don't know the best way I know to describe it, I, I have an external defibrillator uh, manner about me. You know what an external defibrillator is? <laughs> you see it in the shows. It's that machine that when they're trying to revive a patient, they'll say, clear, and boom, right? Well, I kind of like that sometimes in the way that I talk. I say shocking things. The, the purpose of an external defibrillator is to restore the rhythm of the heart because it's not beating as it was designed to beat. God made our heart to beat rhythmically. Boom, 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 steady. Well, there are two, two conditions that a defibrillator treats, an external one. One is where the heart's beating really fast, way too fast. And it's because the electrical activity in there has gotten messed up. So they'll send a shock into the heart to try and restore that steady rhythm. And the other one is when the heart just quivers, but it's not beating. And so they'll send a shock into the heart to bring it back into this steady rhythm that it was was designed to beat with. If you haven't figured it already, I'll say things that, from a religious perspective, might shock you. And the reason that I do that is to bring your heart back into rhythm with God's heart. Yeah. Because man's religion can sometimes cause our hearts to beat really fast, work really hard to try and please God, and wear yourself out because you're living in your own strength. Or false teachings and man's ideas, they're kind of like a quivering heart. They have the appearance of godliness, but no real power to change your life, to make you boom, 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 boom. 
and go through life strong as God has designed it. So just, just letting you know a little bit about me. I like to shock you sometimes in the things that I say. And it's okay to be shocked when you hear something that challenges what you've believed for so many years. It's shocking. But that happens in my life too. Anytime I come across a promise of God, it challenges wrong thoughts in me. And I quickly have made a decision to change and go with what he says instead of what I've been told by man. All right. Why are we spending so much time talking about the goodness of God. I thought we wanted to be led by the Spirit. Shouldn't we be talking about that? Because we need to know the heart of God, the goodness of God, if we're going to be accurately led by the Spirit of God. Okay? We need to know the heart of God, the goodness of His nature, Psalm, uh, what is it, 103, verse 8, I think, says, The Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. We need to know the heart of God if we're going to be led by the Spirit of God. Because out of the overflow of God's heart, He speaks. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks in Luke 6.45. Who is he? He was telling that because that's how God operates, and that's how we were made to operate. So when God has given us his promises, they've come flowing out of his heart, and he's leading us. Now, some believers over the years, I've seen they give the impression that they've progressed beyond Jesus, that they're going to follow the Holy Spirit, But knowing Christ and following the Holy Spirit are not two separate things. (laughs) They're one and the same. See, following the Holy Spirit is not something that you graduate to when you reach a hyper-spiritual, ethereal state. It comes automatically when you're in relationship with Him. So our goal is not to do this super hyper, I don't know, kind of ethereal spiritual thing and float over here somewhere. Our goal is intimacy with Christ. We're walking with Him. We're not doing something that's hard to achieve or that only a few saints have attained to. We're we're in a relationship with Him. And He's leading us by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus when he leads you. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit, if you'll let him, as he, does, he can't, we're not robots. He can't make us do the right thing. If you'll let him, he will lead you into the finished work of Christ, into the full life that Christ came to give us, if you'll let him. You've heard me say at Highway Church, our purpose is to lead people into relationship with Christ. And there's three parts of that. Who God is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. All right? That's what the Holy Spirit 
wants to make you firm in. Who Christ is, what he's done for you, and who you are now in him. When you grow in those things, life loses its confusion. And making decisions about what you should or shouldn't do becomes relatively simple. And so many are struggling to be led by the Spirit because they're not strong in these three areas. Who Christ is, what He's done for them, and who we are in Him. And I remember we we never planned on coming to New England. It wasn't on our list. But I, I began to sense that God had a calling for us here back in the mid-90s. And boy, I'd just spend lots of time with God, praying in the Spirit, just saying, God, you listening for that witness of the Holy Spirit, is this where you really want us to to stay? And um, because I knew his nature, it was much easier to make the decision because I, I knew that his goodness and his good plan. So I knew that what we needed was a church that would give me the good plan of God for my life and for my family. So I knew that God would not lead me to a church that didn't know him or didn't teach the fullness of his gospel. And so many are praying, God, lead me, lead me, lead me to a church. If you'll let him, the the first place he wants to lead you is where you can be fed richly on his word. That's why Highway Church is born. I'm trying to get to something, and I, I don't know how I'm, I'm doing on it. But in other words, people will teach you that being led by the Spirit is some kind of unknown, unsure thing. And He'll lead you over there, and He'll lead you here, and it may not be a, you know, it, 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 you just don't know. Is this God? God's promises are essential to His leading. God will never lead you away from his promises. Now, sometimes he can only go so far with us and he'll take us to what we can accept, you know. But if we're open, he'll lead you into the fullness of the finished work of Christ because that's what he came to do. One more scripture, then we're done. We're going to have communion together. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. So I want to encourage you that God has led you here to Highway Church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why? So that you can grow in who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. John 16, 13. Here it is. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, Jesus said, I am the truth, right? The Spirit of Jesus comes. He will guide you into all Jesus. Right? He's not got to guide you into less of Jesus. I know God's not going to lead me back to the church I came from. Why? Because there's less of Jesus there. I don't have to, I don't have, to have an epiphany to know that because I know the heart of my Father. He'll never lead me to less of Him. How strange is that? Right? That's not His heart. He'll always lead you to more Jesus. Okay? He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine 
and making it known to you. That's Jesus talking. What does the Holy Spirit want to give you? More Jesus. Where does he want to lead you? Into more of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? It's very simple. It solves a lot of decisions in my life. God wants to lead me into more Jesus. Everything else falls into place, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you so much this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into more Jesus, for helping all of us in 2015 to grow in the reality of who you are and what you've done for us and who we are now in you more than conquerors, reigning as kings in life over sickness and disease, over poverty and lack, over depression and discouragement, living the abundant life you came to give us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into more Jesus in 2015. In Jesus' name, amen. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you into more Jesus. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Put your faith in the promises of God and let God lead you into the good life He has prepared for you. In Jesus' name, amen.